It's great to be here with you. you know, I, I remember this church before it even started. And uh, Jeannie and Jared wrote me emails saying of this dream that they're going to do in Chicago. So to actually be here and see it in such a concrete way with a beautiful community that actually has come together is a joy. Uh, how about the worship team? I mean, was that amazing? Yeah. With Patrick, Aaron, Randy, Tom, Tim, Marvin, and Ed. They're great. And what's so cool about today for me was when I was on my way here, I felt God was a part of even my trip in the Uber uh, because I literally had three names came to mind. And three of the names that came to mind were part of the, the worship band. And then in the Uber itself, you can have these really crazy experiences where especially if you choose, like I intentionally choose carpool so I can meet people, you know, not just because it's a couple dollars cheaper. And... <laughs> And there was just like this uh, woman that came out of a nightclub, and then she just poured out her whole story to me. And so I was able to share Jesus with her, and she took my Instagram down. She says, I want to follow you. Can I learn more from you? So I go, whoa, we got some things happening today. So I'm expecting some good things to go on with you. And I, I'm hoping by the end of the message that actually you'd activate something, that you'd be willing to actually stand in to an idea that maybe God has for you. I just don't want you to kind of pause and reflect on it, but what does God want you to do on Monday? So Holy Spirit, we pray this for your, your work in our community, that this beautiful soul city church would know who you are. So we just pray for the power of your spirit uh, to engage our hearts and minds so that we be energized in a way that we can be fully awakened. In Jesus' name, amen. So I have a family of four uh, kids. Uh, I've been married for 34 years. I have a range from 29 to 23, three girls and a boy. And uh, you know, if you come from like an Asian culture, you know how males are very important, right? So we got one, all right? <laughs> I, we're, you know, we're a Me Too movement to my house, obviously, from years ago. And then you know, we're just all about women in my house. But, there was a lot of pressure. If you're in an Asian culture, they really want you to have a son. And so I had, you know, we had a girl the first time around, and I was feeling the pressure because they're saying, well, when are you going to have a boy and stuff like that? And I said, I don't know. But then they started praying for me, my church family. And they said, man, we've been praying. And I, you know, I don't come from a charismatic background. My wife does. And so I had these people who believed in the prophetic, and they said, and say, you know, we've been praying, and God gave us these visions that you're going to have a boy. And so I was so pumped. I couldn't wait to have my son. So finally, you know, my wife got pregnant, and, you know, we're, she's growing on her maturity and her pregnancy. And the day came to go deliver this, the, our child in Ellicott City, Maryland. And we went into the hospital, and she laid down the table, got the epidural, then everything was good. And then as she's going through the epidural, finally, hours later, the doctor looks at me and said, would you like to help deliver the baby? And this was a moment where, uh, from my, you know, the early eras, they didn't usually let fathers come in. So this was like the first stage of when they were letting more dads come in and hang out and chill. And so <laughs> they, they had like a lazy boy chair for us, a television. It was sweet. I was watching Arnold Schwarzenegger, Mars was blowing up or something at that time. Anyway, she goes, would you like to help deliver the child now? I said, of course. And she goes, oh, come on in here. Like, the baby's really slippery, you know, so you're going to... You're going to be very careful. I'm going to pull the head out and the shoulders a little bit. Then take your two index fingers and put them right into the armpits and then pull the baby out. She goes, you ready? I said, I'm ready. And she goes, okay. 
So I got in there like my old football position like this. She said, no, not like that, like this. And then I put my index fingers as the baby was coming out into the armpits. I pulled the baby out and I held the baby up like, it was, like Lion King. And I was so proud. I said, oh my gosh, I said, it's a boy. It's a boy, it's a boy. And Dr. Smith Wason said, no. It's a girl. We call that an umbilical cord. Oh my goodness. Come on, you know, when things get chaotic, you're a little excited, things aren't quite the way they appear to be. Hey, do you ever find that with real life? I mean, things are rushing, blood's going all over the place, gross stuff, beautiful stuff. And you go, where am I? You know, who am I? Uh, what am I supposed to do anyways? I think these are some of the driving questions of our day. When you think about the disruptions that's happening economically, technologically, socially, politically, it's, it's going pretty fast. In fact, there's been studies that said in 1900, uh, knowledge would double about every 100 years. And then by World War II, it was doubling every 25 years. Of late, it's been doubling about every 13 months. A recent IBM paper said soon, knowledge, human knowledge will be doubling every 12 hours. We're talking, there's major disruptions, and you get to live in this era. Now, how are you going to navigate that? Who are you? Is it just going to be about a job when the truth is jobs are going to maybe come and go? And the jobs that used to be around with your parents, where they'd be loyal to it for 40, 50 years and retire, that's not happening. So where are you going to find your identity? Is it going to be in the job? I want to submit to you that it's not necessarily about the clothing you wear, because that's what I call the occupation. Your clothing may change. But who are you in terms of your vocation, your original design, apart from the job that you have? So if you lose your job or your piece of clothing and it gets out of fashion, you're going to be okay. And God can have you wear a different set of clothing. It's kind of like Jesus, right? You know, Jesus, you know, if he's up in heaven, do you think he's going, oh, what am I going to be when I get down there? What am I supposed to do? Oh, carpentry. Yeah, awesome. Carpentry. I don't think that was it. I think there was more to it. Because if we know Jesus, he was a winemaker, he was a physician, he was a teacher, a rabbi, fisherman, carpenter. He had a lot of jobs. But who was Jesus? My guess is if we study his life and what he's written in scriptures, we can know our design. It's really quick and easy. There's four design principles I'd like you to consider today. Number one, we find in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. Okay, let's look at those verses. Genesis 1, 26 through 28. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, and the birds in the sky over the livestock, and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. The male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Okay, here's the first design principle. I'm going to use one word, design principles, so you won't forget it. It's going to be really easy. So by the time you walk out of here, you're going to know why you're here and what you're supposed to do. You ready? First word, and you're going to say it with me after I say it. Freedom! You ready? 
Freedom! Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Freedom. You see, that's the picture here in Genesis chapter 1, 26 to 28. What's great about the book of Genesis, it has all the major motifs throughout the whole Bible. These motifs and central themes you'll find is really the nuts and bolts of your Christian life. So in the very first book, Genesis chapter 1, he establishes your identity. What's your identity in verses 26 to 28? Well, first of all, it's about power. When you think about freedom, he's giving you power. You see, you can't be free unless you know you have power. He says, let us make. See, that's where the power comes from. When you look at this word, let us, in the Hebrew, some people translate this in a plural way because the, the, the word God is plural there. So they say usually it could be God the Father, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus. That's why there's a plural form of God there. No, actually, I think it's different. I think there's a use of the plural form of God in the Hebrew to, uh, to point out the intensity of God's strength. Let us make man in our image. And then if you look at the second idea of the image of God, it's what we know as Imago Dei. Imago Dei it has this historical referencing to when a king would come into an expanse of land and he'd take over the territory. Well, he couldn't be everywhere physically by himself, right? So what they would do is they would erect statues of him, representations of him that would allow people to know this is where the king is. He rules here. Even though he's not physically here, this is his land. You get the picture? Yeah. Whenever you walk the face of the earth, right. you're a representation of the power of the king. Right. Do you act that way? Or are you still acting like an orphan? That still kind of woes me. I don't have much. Where's all my resources? If I had that, I could do all right. Let us. Power is given to us. And his image, and when you think of his image, it's more than the physical representation because God can't be contained in even a form. We see that with Jesus, but he was beyond the form of a human, right? So when you think about Jesus, what's going on? It's, it's his energy. He's giving you his energy. Like imagine this thought, because I, I haven't thought about it a lot until the last couple of years, but there's this passage where in John 15 where he says he's the vine and we're the branches. So we're connected to him, right? So can you fathom this, fathom this for a second? You actually have perfection running through your blood. How crazy is that? Yeah, you're screwed up. I'm screwed up. We're broken. We're messed up. We have a lot of doubts. We get depressed. But perfection still going through your veins. When's the last time you owned that? Let us make man. In our image. And then what are you supposed to do? He says, and let them reign. Subdue the whole earth. This word reign really tells you what you're supposed to do as a free person. See, the idea of reigning or ruling, usually we think of aggression or subjugating people or maybe violence. This is not the idea of rule and reign in Genesis 1. The idea of rule and reign in Genesis 1 is actually of a good king. Someone who's actually known as like a servant king. So while you have all the power and authority, you're, you're, the job isn't to do this and smash people under your foot. It's actually to elevate people. A good king does that. It's not about him. It's about others. That'd be good to have in America. But, you know, it's really this thing where we're elevating people, lifting them up. Genesis 1, 26 through 28 is, say it with me, freedom. 
That's your design. Own it for a second. Let it pause for a moment. Freedom. I like what Nancy did. She let us breathe. We should do downward dog, too. You ready? (laughs) But breathe it in. Freedom. Second thing, Genesis 12. This is also your calling, your design. Genesis 12, it says that he has blessed us, in verse 2, to be a blessing. So this is what you're supposed to do. So you're called to be free. Act like you're not like an orphan. You're, You're a ruler, a good servant ruler. You own the land. All the resources are yours. But you're also called to do what? Bless people. Now, when usually a person sneezes, you say, but what do you mean? Bless you, my friend. Bless you. Bless you. What the heck is bless you? We say that all the time. Well, me being a student of the scripture, because I get curious about these things, I say, what the heck? Because we use this term all the time. So I studied it throughout the Bible. I found out that there are four uh, nuances of the idea of blessing. Stay with me on this. It's really important because this is what our calling is wherever we go. Number one, it's when you see a person. Because, man, we're involved with technology all the time. We're looking at all these screens, but we don't even see each other. One of the people I work with in New York City, she's famous for an art exhibit she did at MoMA. And uh, 800,000 people came. Months of people started lining up. Jay-Z, Kanye West, uh, a lot of the technology people in Silicon Valley, the greatest leaders of the world were starting to come to see this woman. Why were they so fascinated? Because she set up a table where she was on one side of the table, and then a line was started to form where they would want to sit on the other side of the table, and they sit in a chair, and then she lifted up her head, and she looked at them right in the eyes. The exhibit was called The Artist is Present. People literally started weeping. Every art student knows that exhibit. You see, the reality is a lot of us don't even see each other. You can be with a person for 10, 20, 30 years, and you don't see people anymore. You look past them. When you bless a person, if you can actually be present and see them. The second piece of blessings, when you know them, you know their story. It's not just like you say hi. You can go to a small group and go to church. But think about it. Do you know anybody's whole story? I meet husbands and wives that have been together for decades, and they've never heard the whole story from zero to their current age on all the milestones of their life, all the key people that influenced them. Where did they live? Know the story. You bless someone when you know them. See, know, affirm is the third idea of blessing, where once you get to know them, you call out the beauty that you see. So just being critical about a person, man, say the good stuff about them. I mean, because they always hear the negative stuff. Well, what's the beautiful things about them? You can literally ask God for even people that bug you. God, give me your eyes for them. And watch what happens. People that you can't stand, you're going to go, aww. (laughs) They're going to seem like a little kid. Literally, my dad, who I had problems with for a long time, suddenly I asked God for that, that. I prayed that prayer. And I suddenly saw my dad literally like as a child. And in fact, then my therapist told me one time, he, he says, well, you're having trouble with your dad. Why don't you try this? What's your dad's first name? I said, Gary. As soon as I said, I go, gosh. <laughs> He's Gary. Yeah. If I say dad all the time, I'm expecting this, but he, he's a human. And he screwed up just like me. He's Gary. Come on, see goddess. You know, see as God sees. And what happens is you'll see your emotions will shift. Our vision's blurry because we're busy. We don't have time to deal with even our pain. 
see, know, affirm the beauty, and then give access to the inheritance. Because when you lay hands on somebody in the Old Testament, you say, all this is yours. Kind of like also in Luke 15 with the prodigal son. You know, God came home, says, everything I have, he told to the older brother, is yours. Well, that's what you're supposed to do. If you really know Jesus, you know how much you have, you got everything. So you're generous to give it away. Unconditional love. No stipulations. That's when you bless someone. You see, can you imagine a church or family that would really start to do that with one another? You see each other. You know each other's stories. Sometimes you don't have to hear them. You just can see it and feel it. You affirm their beauty, and then you give them access to inheritance. So two things is your calling. So if you came in here and go, I don't know what to do. I'm going to tell you what to do. No matter what job you have, the occupation is not the main thing. It's your calling, your vocation, which is freedom. And then secondly, it's blessing. See, know, affirm, and give. You with me? Okay, so I know that the driving question that, Dave, there's a lot of people uh, to do that with, you know, bless a lot of people, be free with a lot of people. You know, I'm not an extrovert. How do I do that? Well, there's a way. There's two more design principles in the New Testament. John chapter 5. Say the word flowing. Flowing. One more time. Flowing. flowing. Yeah, we, we call the flow with the Father. John 5 says Jesus only did what he saw his Father doing. Jesus didn't heal everybody in that moment. He stepped over people to heal one. So you can't have this idea, man, we've got to save this the whole... That's God's job. Even your family, that's God's job. You see, it's not your work to initiate the movement. Your work is to respond to the initiative that God's already doing. It's a quite different mindset. I don't have to make it happen like the world tells me. God's already making it happen. But do you have the sensibility and the alertness, and can you pay attention to this movement so you don't waste your energy and resources? You see, it's flowing with the Father. Bruce Lee, my favorite theologian, he, <laughs> he was asked, what type of martial arts do you do? And he gave the perfect response. It depends. <laughs> you put water into a cup, it becomes a cup. You put water into a pitcher, it becomes a pitcher. Be water, my friend. Awesome. <laughs> that just sinks into your soul. Be water, my friend. Flow. Your Dave, that's so new age, man. I go, no, Jesus said it. He said, he said I'm the living water. Drink of me and you'll never thirst again. Jesus was abstract, couldn't put him into a confined material thing. This abstract God became human flesh. He became liquid, literally, because your body is mostly liquid. So see, our bodies even tell us how we're supposed to be. You're supposed to flow. You see, the reason why you have so much anxiety and we get so depressed is because we're trying to make it happen. When there's already something happening, what's going on? Who's already there that you can love? What's the dreams that can already be fulfilled? Well, maybe it's not about your dream, actually. Maybe the dream is you helping other people's dreams, and in doing so, you'll find your dream. Right. You see, it's about flowing with the Father. Now, I'm not used to this. I come, again, uh, from a non-charismatic background. I was raised in an evangelical church uh, that was pretty conservative. You know, we would think people are kind of charismatic if they went... If we saw someone raise their hand like that during worship, we'd go, whoa, man, it's a little heavy. <laughs> a little emotional there. <laughs> and so, you know, I'm not used to that background, but um, what happened is 
crazy things started happening where I, you know, we built these mega churches. They're going all over the place. And so I was caught up in the rush of it, the busyness of it. You just get, I mean, you just get lost in it. It's like a business in a way, you know. And I think what happened is I lost the magical part of when I first met Jesus when I was 15. I talk about it, but I, I lost the, the essence of it, the intimacy. What happened is I noticed as things were growing, I was starting to lose my soul in a way. And um, so this, you know, my kids also started to drift away from the church. And then uh, my, my daughters, you know, they're good-looking kids. You know, something happens. You know, I got to tell you the truth. When you put Asian and white together, you know, or Asian and black, you get blazing, you know. <laughs> but you get it all together, it's just like, oh, yeah, man. So it's looking good, right? So my... My, my kids, you know, they're, they're good-looking kids, I believe. You know, takes after my wife. And then what happened is, uh, you know, they got lost in drinking, and uh, my you know, son started taking drugs, and my, my daughter started uh, having an eating disorder. And so we were, they were struggling. And they had, like, the best youth programs and all that other stuff. But then something was missing, and it really caught my attention because I saw that happening in the American church where a lot of us were familiar with church. We had parents that went to church. You've been part of the best programs. You hear great preachers, all that stuff. But I said something was missing. So anyways, I, I encouraged my daughter and son to go to this program in, in, in Hawaii of some of my friends that were running it, and these young people from around the world would come. And then my daughter was the first one we saw breakthrough with, Karis. She calls back, and she said, Dad, Mom, you're not going to believe this. I go, well, we go, what happened? Because we I was there listening to preachers. I saw these people raising their hands, going crazy, you know, singing songs. And she said, why couldn't I do that? Because I don't have that type of freedom. I think about what others think. And then she said, suddenly she heard God's voice. Psalm 40. I took your feet out of the muddy clay, and I placed you upon a rock. I've given you a new song. And she goes, no, not that. That's the same thing you gave my dad, you know? <laughs> Because that's why I started a church called New Song, you know? And no, she goes, no, he goes, no, that's for you too. And she said that she just got overwhelmed by it and she fell on the ground. This is not like my daughter because she's very concerned about how people see her. And she started shaking, she said, and sobbing on the ground. And then she said, this young woman came back from, by from Newport Beach that she just knew for a little bit. She says, Karis, you mind if I just pray for you? And Karis says, sure. After she was done, she goes, Karis, God gave me a vision for you. You had mud all over your body. And God wiped, washed you completely clean. He placed your feet on a rock, and he gave you a new song. Yeah. My daughter's never been the same again. She's 25 now. She can speak to thousands. She's now becoming an actress. She has no fear. That's my daughter. My son... Athletic, tall guy, size 13 shoe, you know, he's doing all this type of stuff. He's partying hard. Suddenly he goes, Dad, I think I need to go away too, like Karis. And he went to Nepal. He went to Kathmandu. Because I told my children, feel free to go anywhere in the world. Because especially when you're young, you need to travel the world, see what's going on. So my kids went to, my, my son went to Kathmandu, and uh, we get this call. And this is our son who's a party kid, right? Because as a parent, all you can do is pray for your kids. There's a point where you can't say anything. You're a bug. All right? And so, so pretty much, you know, we're just praying. And then my son calls. He goes, Dad, can you pray that uh, we could raise the dead here? I go, what? He goes, yeah. He goes, there's a lot of, like, dead people around. And they actually sacrifice people here in Kathmandu out in the outskirts. They burn them up. He says, I think if they would get raised from the dead and some of the people who are lame, like, could get healed, I think they would see God. 
So my wife and I kind of looking at each other, listening to him on speakerphone, going, whoa. And then, and then we say, okay, son, we'll pray for you. You know how that type of thing is where you say, I'll pray for you, but you don't really believe. He calls us a week later, says, Dad, you're not going to believe this. But I was walking down the street. There's this old guy that was hobbling all the time with his cane. We prayed for him, and he threw the cane away. And he started dancing in the streets. He said, Dad, I was walking, and there's this commotion, and there's this man that had died right in the middle of the ground. All his friends were around him. A witch doctor was chanting in the background. My son felt like he was supposed to walk by, but then he felt this magnetic pull to go back. He felt that was God. So he went back, and he said, uh, what happened? The guy said, well, he died of toxic alcohol syndrome. My son says, would you mind if I pray for him? Guy goes, go ahead. My son lays his hands on him. And all of a sudden, the man goes, and looks at my son right in the eyes, and he starts speaking in 10 different languages. They had to hold him down. He has so much strength, they said, from demons for one hour, flowing with the Spirit. Can you imagine how your life would be different? You go, can that happen in America? So I've been asking these questions, too, because we hear about these weird stories in Africa, India, you know, but can it happen right here in Chicago? So I was kind of questioning God about this. I said, God, I want to have that because I don't want my kids to experience that because I've been a Christian a long time. I'm a promoter of Christianity. You know, so I said, um, would you make this real to me if it's true? And then this guy came to our church, and he prayed a prayer and I saw people impacted. People got healed. It wasn't weird. It was very calm and natural. And then uh, he asked for people to come forward if they wanted prayer. And I had never seen this in our congregation. Remember, they didn't even do that hardly. Over 50% of the people walked forward. Again, so I go, okay, there's something legit. And then I go to Monday, and Monday's my special day because Sundays for pastors are very busy. I go, Monday mornings are like my day off. And it may not look like it because you see me speaking like this, but I'm an introvert, all right? And so I, I really like being by myself. And so Mondays are like my best days by myself. I just go off and I, I hide someplace. And my favorite place to hide in Orange County is yogurt land, okay? <laughs> and what was so great about this, God blessed me. He sent me the CEO of yogurt land to the church. And, you know, so I said, all I need from you is like a lifetime membership to yogurt land. <laughs> You know, free yogurt for the rest of my life. So he gave me this awesome, really cool card. Anyways, I'm going inside. <laughs> I'm going into yogurt land. And I'm sitting there. And I get my, you know, plain yogurt. And I put the little stuff that I always like on Some coconut, some nuts, and a little bit of peanut stuff on top. And then graham cracker crust stuff, right? And so I'm sitting down just eating and enjoying and that one guy that had prayed at our church, this is this like evangelist guy that had gone to these large crusades in China, around the world, thousands of young people would come, literally fill coliseums. He comes walking in, he goes, Dave! And I go, oh, yeah. He goes, I've been praying for you, man. He goes, I've been thinking about you. You got these like gifts? And man, you mind if I just pray that they be unleashed like in you? What am I gonna say? <laughs> I'm a pastor, man. I have to say yes. You know, so even though I was embarrassed about it, I go, yeah, man, sure. Let's go. Yeah, let's pray. He's okay. Let's go outside. I thought he was going to take me to a nice little private cubbyhole. He takes me next to the line that's going into Yogurt Land. And this is when Yogurt Land was at like its peak, okay, of like everybody wanted to go to Yogurt Land. So all this long, I'm standing right next to the Yogurt Land line, and then he, he does the charismatic thing. 
he puts his hand on my head. And then he starts pumping it. <laughs> he starts pumping my head. And I, I go, oh, my gosh. And so he started to pump. And then he's not quietly praying. He's yelling, God bless Dave. You don't give him these gifts. And he's pumping me, man, the whole time. And it's going like 10 seconds, 30 seconds, a minute, two minutes. I go, oh, my gosh. And he's pumping me. And then it got worse. He starts getting so passionate and excited, he starts to spray spit. And it starts landing on my cheeks. And I'm a germaphobe, so I'm grossing out. I'm feeling like coolness on my face. And I say, God, get me out of here. I literally don't remember what he said. But the whole time as he's doing that, it suddenly broke. I heard a voice, and I don't hear voices often, but I heard a voice. Oh, Dave, you care more about what people think than receiving my power. And that's been on my, my whole life. Man, I was like one of the first Asians in the whole state of Arizona. <laughs> I was oddball, man. I was the misfit dude. Everywhere I went, I was a misfit kid. And I remember I was always trying to prove myself through athletics, through leadership, through academics. And suddenly, that just struck my heart. God knew exactly what I need to hear. So I'm still getting pumped. <laughs> I'm feeling this, man, and I start crying. You know how you start crying, and it turns into the ugly cry? <laughs> And I'm an introvert, so I don't, I don't ever do this public. I just start losing it like crazy. You get snots, everything's just like, and I'm mixed with his saliva. You know, I just kind of. <laughs> and I just told God, I said, hey, I can't do it like him, though. I literally said that. I said, I can't do it like this guy. I love him, but that's not me. Then I heard this. You don't have to. You know, my Holy Spirit, he's like the introvert of the three of us. And if you study the scriptures, you know that's true. He's the one that kind of hides behind the curtain, and then Jesus on main stage, and he's pointing to Jesus. All you see is his arm. I go, oh, it's like that. Because I had just only one image of Holy Spirit. But that's like almost like sometimes a personality it can be, or a way they do it. But I never saw like this naturally supernatural thing. As soon as I heard that, I said, God. And I'm all talking, God. I want all of it. I mean, if that's really true, Lord, man, give it to me. I want it all my lifetime. I said, God, I haven't experienced like that before. I mean, I've tasted stuff, but could it be every day? If it's true, I want all. Come on, Lord, give it to me. My life's never been the same. Freedom, blessing, flowing. John 4 is knowing. Okay, this is your calling. This is how you figure it out. Like when you're interacting with people, you go, what do I do with people? You know, it's really hard. You usually think, I gotta go witness and bring them to church, I bring them to a small group or to this event. Well, most of your buddies aren't gonna go to church anymore. Let's just be honest. Why would they have to? They can watch it online. Why would I wanna hang out with people I don't know and listen to something I really don't wanna hear or I'm gonna feel like guilty when I listen to stuff? Most of our friends who don't know Jesus probably don't wanna come to church anymore. So you actually have to be the light in a, a non-manipulative way where you're just pure love, where you're not jo your job is not to change people. What's your job? Your job is to love people. And the way you love people, that's the fourth design principle is love, specifically defined as knowing. 
And that's what you see in Genesis, actually, where it says Adam knew Eve. And we always refer to that as sexual intimacy, but as we know with sex, it's way beyond just a physical sex act. There's a oneness of flesh. Everything you are is one. So what happens is we, we can really interact with people by knowing them, knowing who they are, not just listening like factually, but trying to understand what is their essence, what's God doing in them that's beautiful. See, that's another level of intensity. Guys, if you get this when you're young, you're way ahead of the game. It's not about you just kind of giving answers. It's about you understanding. Wow. So my job isn't necessarily to push people into the kingdom. That's God's job. My job is to love people where they are. John 4, you see it. In this really beautiful interaction, you see the whole village is running to Jesus. That's the end of John 4. They're all running to Jesus. Jesus, we're going to go see him. Well, how did that happen? It wasn't a church plant. It wasn't like a big crusade and, and you know, having a big worship band come, inviting all the Christians of the city to pray. It was through one person. Jesus talks to an outsider, a Samaritan woman. Talks to her about water. And then he says, there's living water I want to offer you. And then she says, well, what about, you know, the, the, the worship? She almost kind of sidetracked Jesus a little. What about the worship in Jerusalem on the mountains? And then Jesus says, no, all of us must worship him in spirit and in truth. And then Jesus digs deep, and he goes, um, where's your husband? Oh, I don't have any husbands, she says. Oh, you're right. You actually have like five husbands? And the one you're with now is not your husband. And she's going, whoa, this guy's legit. <laughs> and then as she does that, She's feeling something move in her because she never had a man see her this way. You see, she had a lot of men who knew her body. Jesus was the first one that saw her soul. Because you know how men can look at you. But she saw his eyes were totally different. She never met a man like that. So you got to come meet this guy. I never met a man like this before. He really knows me. And that's why the whole village came running. When you start stepping into this every day, it changes the game. Not just on Sunday morning, but on Monday, Tuesday, all throughout the week. I've been starting to practice this more because I, I, I have this muscle like we all do, but we haven't exercised it. So it just takes some exercise. You feel awkward, you feel embarrassed, but you have to be willing to sound stupid, and you have to be willing to look, look like you're wrong. You just have to be willing, because that's like a childlike faith. Just step into it, because it's a muscle. Just like practicing the piano, or you're learning some type of athletic practice, it just takes a while to get good at. So you have these gifts that are intrinsically in you as a follower of Jesus, as a ruler of the kingdom. So what is this? Well, I say, I want to flow, and not only flow, but I want to start knowing people, and start walking with you. So what happened is, I started praying, like every day when I wake up, God, I want to see what you see. Awaken me to everything you want, want me to, to do and be a part of. I want to follow you. So anybody you want me to talk to, I'll do it. Even though I'm an introvert, I don't like it, I'll do it. So God, it's whatever you want. So what happened is this rich guy, uh, he's a very wealthy man. He's involved in financial capital. Uh, he was, he was an investor. One of the biggest funds in the world. He gets into trouble and he, he, in Hong Kong for insider trading. He calls me and says, would you spend a week with me? I go, man, I don't even see my family sometimes that long. Because I, I, I need you for a week. I'm serious. I go, okay. And so he flies me out for three years every month. Business class from L.A. all the way to New York. And he's investing a lot of his time and resources. On about the six months into the trek every month, um, 
the limo driver would come to my house, pick me up, and take me to LAX. So the limo driver was there on Monday morning, like I always left, I had always left before, and I get into the car, and it was the me time, you know? It's like, oh, finally, I get in the limo, I can be by myself for an hour to get to LAX. So I put on my headset, I'm ready to go, and I'm enjoying my favorite small group, me, myself, and I. <laughs> so here I am, just kind of chilling, enjoying the introvert time that I've been longing for, who I really am, and then I hear the voice again, hey, talk to the driver. No, God, man, this, this is me time. Come on, Lord. Talk to the driver. Hey, man, what's your name? <laughs> My name is Mohammed. And I go, oh, dang. Because <laughs> I had a stereotype of Muslims. I hadn't had a very good perspective. This was like, you know, eight years ago. And uh, I said, okay. So I said, well, he, you know, I was getting used to this and new to it. So I said, God, I'm going to go right forward then. Hey, Muhammad, what do you think about Jesus? He goes, oh, good man, but not very smart. Muhammad, a smart man, but not very good. I mean, he just laughed. That was funny. I laughed with him a little bit. And then I said, God, what else am I supposed to say? Because I'm an introvert. It's hard for me to stir up conversation. It feels weird, awkward. And so I just had this vision of a brain, you know, because, again, I was trying to lean into visions or whatever God may give. I saw a brain. I go, oh, he must be really smart. I said, Muhammad. My guess is, like, you got a master's degree in finance, and you're a pretty smart guy. Even though you're, like, driving this limo, you're much more than what I'm seeing. And he looked in the rearview mirror and said, who told you? I got a master's degree in finance from Tehran. I said, oh. Then I said, God, what else? Is there anything? Because I didn't know what else to say. <laughs> I go, whoa. And then so I saw this picture again of a large woman. But I didn't know how to talk about it, right? <laughs> So I just go to him, I go, hey, bro, I go, is there like a big woman in your life? <laughs> and he just laughed, he goes, yeah. And she's causing me so much trouble. How do you know these things, man? Who told you this? And he's looking in the rearview mirror, and he's looking, you know, you see, he's coming, I, I go, listen, I didn't really want to talk to you if I was honest, because I'm an introvert, but I felt like God wanted you to know him and she knows you because he really loves you. And he went silent the rest of the trip of 45 minutes. And for me, that was awesome, right? <laughs> but so 45 minutes, just chilling back there. But then all of a sudden, right before we get to the terminal, he goes, sir, I think I'm about to cry. And he goes, I said, hey, man, I, I, I think it's God working in you. And his spirit really loves you. If you just, like, you don't have to say, you know, accept everything, but with, based upon what you know, just say yes to Jesus. I go, you can see, literally feel a difference in your body. You'll feel a shift. So I said, if you want to say this prayer, say it with me. He goes, I go, would you like to do it? He goes, yes. So I said, okay, we're going to pray, but keep your eyes open. <laughs> and so he's driving, and he prays this really cool prayer. I mean, you can feel like the weight. You know, have you ever heard that weight of God's glory? I never understood what that meant, but... In that moment, I felt like in the car, like you feel like the presence just land on you. Yes. And so I was just feeling the presence. You know, kind of like now, right? Yeah. Just feel the presence. And then we pull up to the terminal, and he said, sir, something happened to my body. I feel different. I got chills all over my body right now. I said, yeah, that's the spirit of God. He'll never leave you. He promised. You prayed a prayer that he come live in you forever. 
he gets out of the car, starts to open my door, or, or about to open my door, but you know how like 10 seconds can seem like five minutes? It's like you have this like stillness of time, and, and God starts having an interaction with me, and I heard this, Dave, give him everything in your wallet. No, God. <laughs> I said, I just went to the ATM, you know, we're going to New York, I need a wad of cash for all the tips. No. And the guy says, I know you're debating in your mind whether this is me or not but you just need to learn to give everything away. So I knew that was God. He came to the door, opened it up. I pulled out the wad of cash. You know how the Bible talks about loving a cheerful giver? <laughs> I wasn't very cheerful, but I did the wad of cash. I said, God told me to give you this. <sighs> and he ran away from me like I had some type of disease. And he looks back at me and said, Sir, I can't take your money, for you have given me something better than money. You have something better than money, better than a job. You have the Holy Spirit living in you. You have perfection running through your veins. You're a ruler of the earth. You have abundance galore. Be free. Bless the earth. Flow. Love. This is your design. If you want to lean into this today, because I don't know what you're going through, what toxicity, what, what curses you've been hearing or you say to yourself, what disaster or trauma has hit you, but whatever abuse, whatever has gone on, God can wash you completely clean and he can make you stand again. So you can run. If you like this activating your life, I want you to be honest about it and step into it. Don't just do it cerebrally, but do it with your body. Say, you know what? On Monday morning, I'm going to step into this and ask the Holy Spirit to, to flow in me everywhere I go to love people, not to change them. That's his job, to love them. But I want the Spirit to work in me. I love visions and dreams. Whatever God wants to give me, I'm open to that. But I want to dance with the Spirit. If you want to lean into that today, and you like prayer, I invite you to stand as we close. And just hold your hands out. You don't have to go like this. You can put them around here if you want. <laughs> and just, just pray this prayer together. Okay, say this in your heart. Holy Spirit, I love you. And thank you for loving me. I want all of you. I want you to flow freely through my veins. Wash all the toxicity inside my soul. Cleanse me from it, especially my mind and the energy of my heart. Take over. When I open my eyes again, help me to see that this is like Narnia. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Amen.